was us singing the West Wing theme while also saying my wife in a Borat voice. <laughs> Welcome to Michael and Us. My name is Will Sloan and I'm here as always with... Yeah, uh, I'm Luke Savage, a bit of a late one as you might have guessed. <laughs> our, our normally professional faculties of somewhat... Uh, <laughs> Departed we're we're, we're a few drinks in. We just watched um, the Ameri- the American president. That's what it's called, right? The American, the American president, not an American president. No, the, not American president. Which is the what American it, president. it should be called, American president. That's right. I think because that's, that's right. what they're all called, the the American president. But we'll get to that in a minute. It's a great, great film. Um, oh, so but, good. But I guess we should say we're recording this. I don't know when this is going to come out. Perhaps Jeremy Corbyn will have already lost by the time this drops. But I, I see the face you're giving me. Well, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Um, you know, different polling companies have very different opinions. As we're watching this uh, excellent masterpiece of cinema, there were a couple more polls that dropped that, you know, looked a little better. You're but, a wreck uh, these days. You're you're really invested in this thing. Really want Jeremy to win. That's right. Me, I can only care about two countries at a time, top. <laughs> so, you know, I wish Great Britain well, but, you know, they're on their own, frankly. Well, we'll see what happens. I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot on the next episode, one way or the other. Is there anything else you want to talk about before before we start? Uh, oh, geez. Well, I feel we like we have a lot of ground to cover with this movie. Uh, but I mean, was there any Mike? Wasn't there like some? Do you Mike want to talk about news? Hillary owning slaves, or has it already been kind of uh, ground over by the culture? I feel like that sort of speaks for itself. But if you don't know what we're talking about, just Google Hillary Clinton, you know, slave labor, and see. Uh, this is actually something I want to talk about well, before we get into prison it. labor. I found that for, for some reason I find myself, you know, every time Donald Trump tweets something, my Twitter feed is just full of, you know, blue checkmark people all quote tweeting him with a little pithy. Sir, you know, sir, sir, it's called the Constitution. Try reading it sometime. Every single, every single one of those people should have uh, the, the letters ACN after the yeah. name, in my opinion. So every time Trump says something and he always tweets something terrible, but it just kind of rolls off my back. Hey, hey, guys. Guys, hey, Will, Will, uh, Yeah, 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 Kovfef. Am I right? But I find the only thing that gets me viscerally upset on Twitter is anytime Hillary Clinton does anything. And I want to, <laughs> I want to hear what you think about this because on some level, am I overreacting to this? I mean, well, I mean, you're asking the wrong guy if you're looking for sort of a counterweight opinion to that, because, you know, if people have read my writing or whatever, like I'm a very critical of Hillary Clinton. Here's what, here's what, here's what I think. I think that people like you and I, I think it's sort of a given that we're outraged by Donald Trump Mm -hmm. and that we find him and everything he stands for completely offensive and disgusting. But the thing is, like, you know, I can't really do anything to sort of, ch- like, the, the Donald Trump voter on a day-to-day basis anyway, I can't do anything to change that. Uh, what I can do is kind of intervene in my own social milieu, and my own social milieu is much more likely to be sympathetic to Hillary Clinton. And so, you know, I, I guess in the kind of final months of the presidential election was one of the people who sort of had the view that... You know, it's still important to be critical of Hillary Clinton because, like, you can't just you can't just stop doing that because there's this threat, like, further to the right. And I think the same kind of holds true, you know, now that we're in the Trump presidency. Mm. I, I, I really resent this impulse that a lot of people seem to have where they think that the only constructive response to somebody like Donald Trump is to never kind of criticize the people who are nominally supposed to be on your own side and who are the, the opposition. You know, I think a lot of times the people that are 
quote tweeting Trump are, you know, they're they're trading in a sort of social currency, and I don't really think that it it does anything. I mean, I, I you know, I I mean mm. on the I mean to be fair, I mean I I understand you know it's it's very upsetting, and I understand that, but you know if you go to any Donald Trump tweet and you look at you know you click on the replies and it's just all these like blue check marks you've never heard of clearly trolling for like or rather trawling for traffic and mm. retweets and stuff and I don't know I I think it's perfectly okay to be angry at an opposition to this that's so weak need that it's capable of losing in the first place and and when it gets to the point where you know the opposition the the supposed vanguard of that opposition published a book like 20 years ago where they're talking like a slave-owning aristocrat right in the you know from a 19th century memoir well or I, you know, know in fairness she sent back the slaves who stole <laughs> so that that makes it okay yeah uh, she was sympathetic to them even though in her words they were emotional illiterates but i'm of two minds about it because on the one hand i think that hillary clinton is still you know she carries so much cultural currency i mean it's hard to imagine michael dukakis having this no, level of support six months mm-hmm. after the election but how much support like well is there, okay right? this is why i'm of two minds about it because you know if i if i rag on hillary clinton on twitter i think her fan base is a small proportion of people and it's self-parodic at this point i mean these people defending her using slave prison labor on twitter i mean it she she lost yeah it speaks for itself but I mean, I guess she's still because she's out there in the media and she's well, saying she's, all this stuff. She's representative of something bigger than herself. Yeah, and she's and she's made a conscious attempt, especially in the last few weeks, to kind of return to the spotlight. So I mean, you know, I feel like maybe it's naive, but I feel like a lot of other people wouldn't have kind of done that. Yeah, you know, I think there's still a part of the sort of American liberal psyche. I mean, Hillary Clinton herself aside, that really wants to treat this election loss like it's anomalous, that it doesn't have to do... There are no structural reasons behind it. And the Donald Trump presidency is going to just get canceled out anyway. Right. You know? Like, it's not going to be a real thing. Louise Mensch was on Twitter uh, either yesterday or today being like, um, you know, trust me, my sources say that, you know, this is definitely the first step in Donald Trump's impeachment. Like, Mm -hmm. we know this. It's a fact. And this is why George W. Bush has been rehabilitated, because they need to believe that, you know, all the other presidents are fundamentally good. Right. And and that this is just a simple aberration and it'll go back to normal afterwards. Well, and, you know, what a perfect segue into uh, a piece of not so much film, but I think, you know, literature about the... (laughs) just filmed visual literature about the most important institution of all, the American presidency. The president has asked me to convey to you that he's sending his energy bill to the floor with a call for a 10% reduction. The president's expecting our full support. Yes, he is. The president's dreaming, AJ. The president Sydney critically misjudged reality. If he honestly thinks that the environmental community is going to whistle a happy tune while rallying support around this pitifully lame mockery of environmental leadership, then your boss is the chief executive of Fantasyland. Good morning, Mr. President. How are you today? I couldn't be better. My apologies for the interruption. Mr. President, I don't know what to say. I'm speechless. All evidence to the contrary. What would happen if I called Sidney Wade and asked her to be my date at the state dinner on Thursday evening? <sighs> President, you can't just go out on a date. I'm having dinner at the White House. I'm having lunch at the Kremlin. I don't know what happened. One minute I was calling him a mockery of an environmental leader. The next minute I had a date. 
She didn't say anything about me. Well, no, sir, but I can pass her a note before study hall. Would you like to dance? Yeah, I guess. I mean, yes, sir. I'd love to. Never mind that she is the hired gun of an ultra-liberal political action committee. And never mind that his 12-year-old daughter is sleeping down the hall. Lucy, are you okay with this? My having dinner with a lady? Dad, it's cool. Just go for it. and I'm running for president. In the past seven weeks, 59% of the country has begun to question your family value. This poll doesn't talk about my presidency. This poll talks about my life. I, I gotta nip this in the bud. This has catastrophe written all over it. Sydney, the man is the leader of the free world. He's brilliant, he's funny, he's an above average dancer. Isn't it possible our standards are just a tad high? Do you think there'll ever be a time and you can stand in a room with me and not think of me as the president. Which we watched this week. On my request, um, we've Will... Been, we've Will, been pushing this uh, well, Will, aside. Will I've is, been pushing it Will aside has for been, a while. Will has been punting it down the road. For To be fair, for good reasons, because um, I wrote, uh, dare I say it, a rather successful article about a particular Aaron Sorkin uh, show a few weeks ago. And Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, <laughs> I assume. Uh, uh, that's the one. Uh, no, it was actually his ESPN sports show. Um, <laughs> no, uh, uh, it was the West Wing. Um, and it appeared in Current Affairs magazine. That's right. Um, and uh, right after I did that, they had an episode fortuitously on uh, Chapo Trap House. Rival podcast, uh, <laughs> Chapo Trap House. We're catching up to them every week. Um, and then, you know, just kind of a couple weeks later, as I wanted to, you know, pitch the idea again, uh, they did another episode, really, really funny, um, a, a Chapo bonus episode on the newsroom, which also got to some of the core of uh, Sorkinism. But I have to say, I've been really itching to talk about it. Because I was frankly doubtful after those episodes that like there would be fr more to say about mm. the Sorkin aesthetic. But I'm glad to be proven wrong because <laughs> this movie, oh my well, God. holy shit. What a movie. Uh, I mean, it, it, it is, it, I mean, it's, in some ways, his it's his least pretentious movie, in a way. I mean, it's like, it's a romantic comedy, right. basically. Right. And it's it's his lightest movie. It's the one that has the least number of big self-important speeches, although it has a few. Well, yeah. But it's still, like, the urtext, somehow, for everything that followed. Yeah. I mean, it is a romantic comedy, but I do think it has sort of pretenses to something bigger. Oh, yeah. In a, bi yeah. In a big way. Um, but, so know, I should say he's incapable of writing a completely unpretentious movie. Yeah, I mean, unpretentious is certainly not yeah. a word I would use for this movie. But um, romantic comedy is the right way to think about it because, you know, there's a point, um, if you remember, you know, we'd watch watching the film for some time. And there's often a moment in the podcast kind of the, the Michael and us minute, if you will, where we're watching a movie and we're just really fucking tired of it. And one of us will kind of cautiously say, ah, how much is left in this movie? <laughs> and usually the answer is like, you know, oh, there's like seven hours left in this movie. And this time I said, well, probably 45 minutes. And mercifully, there were only like 20 minutes left. But they were a pretty long 20 minutes. It was pretty minutes. long. But not. But nothing happens in this movie was my point. Was going to be my point. I mean, there is the... Th it's such thin gruel, just there even as a romantic comedy. Well, you know, a recurring theme of these movies that we watch for this podcast, all these 90s movies, is it's, it really takes you back to this end of history moment where you had this White House where there were all these 
all these cool, competent people in charge, and politics was just kind of this this like parlor game. <laughs> like you know, in in this movie, there's Michael Douglas as the good guy, and yeah. there's Richard Dreyfuss as the bad guy. But they're really they're just playing a game with each other, basically. Yeah. And you know, at one point. Somebody comes in and says, Mr. President, the Libyans have bombed someone. It, yeah. it like doesn't even fucking matter. Yeah, yeah. And then and then it's great because we get to see how big presidential decisions are made. Uh, and it's always just like a 30 second scene where somebody would be like, uh, well, sir, intelligence suggests that a strike at uh, 7 p.m. would uh, inflict maximum damage on their intelligence capabilities. And then he's like, um, you know go <laughs> like, yeah whatever and, and everybody all... and michael j fox is always coming in with mr president you're the polls have just slipped eight percent so it's this constant like it's like a game of pinball trying yeah. to get trying to get the, the poll numbers up that's right those it, are the stakes what you did look was very presidential tonight or whatever yeah. that's great yeah so there's a few familiar faces in this movie so we, let's yeah. say what the movie's about it's uh, about you got my i think the people deserve to know yeah. uh michael douglas stars as president bartlett basically uh, yeah, although although the actual president Bartlett Martin Sheen is his sidekick, his chief of staff, which is a very funny touch, especially since everything in this movie, like this movie, is just the proto West Wing. Even the opening credits are basically oh just my the god, West Wing the credits. opening credits are these kind of sounds like the West Wing music, and we see you know like it's a montage of like a bust of Lincoln yeah. and then a portrait of Lyndon Johnson yeah, it's and just one after the West another. Wing credits, the it really just like gets you so horny for, yeah, for the for white house. America just want to just want to get fucking in there. <laughs> um, so, uh, Michael Douglas, uh, is, is president Bartlett. Let's just call him president Bartlett. President Bartlett. And, uh, he is a widower. Uh, he lost his wife on the campaign trail three years ago to cancer, uh, to cancer, but he has a daughter in the white house. So he's a, a bachelor president and, you know, he's just like, he's just passing bills and, you know, like fucking, Except he's not even fucking having meetings. I don't even think he, actually. You don't even see him pass a bill. That's he's, actually a good point. Yeah. It seems that his entire three years have been building up towards passing this one bill, which yeah. is the crime the, bill. The crime bill, which they used to call the gun bill, but that made them look like pussies. As a as a as a wily political staffer in the Oval Office points yeah. out, uh, you know, we don't call it the the crime bill or the gun gun bill because that makes us sound like weak or so, whatever. So we got the crime bill. That's the MacGuffin. Those are the stakes but meanwhile there are some other players there's this environmental lobby group that also wants an environmental bill passed yeah so he's weighing that and meanwhile you know it's just he and he and his staff are in there in the oval office you know trading quips trading barbs they're they're getting shit done yeah they're a quick-witted bunch it's great we hear lots of uh lots of funny amusing little anecdotes from them lots of great sorkin dialogue in this movie and also a bunch of those, you know, a bunch of these sort of uh, walk and talk scenes or the sort of, you know, Baroque versions of them that would later be popularized by the West Wing. So there's an environmental lobby group in Washington that has a new employee. She's new to town and she's played by Annette Benning, And she has a meeting with the president where she's going to lobby him on this environmental bill. And the president decides, you know, three years is a long time uh, to go without you know without a, a little something something and he it's love love at first sight well, so she's she's mouthing off to the chief of staff about like he's saying the chief of staff played by martin sheen is basically saying you know the president's not going to go with a 20 percent reduction in greenhouse gas emissions it's only going to be 10 percent. and she goes off on what you know weak one of those weak sorkin-esque and then you know. he walks into the room and of course waits for the opportune moment to interrupt her 
because this is a Sorkin trope, isn't it? It's like you've got this this woman who's very competent, but she's new at her job, right. and she's trying to make it's like, a, it's an like, impression. That's the introduction of every female character on it's the like, West Wing. Where, where, they have to be humiliated. Yeah, and and the whole and the whole point is like it's like. Oh, well, isn't it cute how, like, feisty this brainy woman is, but, like... Yeah, the minute the president comes in, yeah. she's just totally disarmed. And then, and, then, and then the president or whatever, like, male authority figure walks in is always, like, uh, always, like, disarms them, and, and their reaction is always, like, like you know, with uh, Ainsley Hayes in the West Wing or whatever, the reaction is always, like, oh, well, isn't that adorable? She's got to come work here because she's Yeah, I like be... the cut of your jib. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, so she has a, a brief one-on-one meeting with the president where he decides that he loves her. And, you know, because she's a competent woman in an Aaron Sorkin movie, of course, it has to cut back to her, you know, at her shitty apartment with her shitty roommate and her right. being and like, oh, did, did, did he like me? I don't know. Right, right. And yeah. here, here is like what one third of the movie is. I swear yeah. to God, one third of the movie is a series of scenes where he just impresses her and like courts her by reminding her in various ways that he's the president of the United States. Yeah, so there's one scene where he's like, oh, I gotta go, I gotta catch my ride, and like and a, then a fucking helicopter like, yeah, lands. Yeah, like Marine One lands behind in the, the Oval Office. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, see ya. Uh, yeah, I've, I've gotta go uh, speak to the Israeli ambassador or whatever. Like, it, yeah. it just, all the time he, he has to kind of, and then he, or he calls her at home, knowing, of course, that she's gonna be like, that's not the president, and then she hangs up, and then he calls her back, and he's like, all right, call this number, gives the number, uh, uh, ask for the president and uh, they'll be expecting you. And of course she calls the White House and it's like, oh yes, uh, the president's expecting you. And so, he does you that know. over, that's, that is like a third of the yeah. movie. Sir, I'm a little intimidated by my surroundings. And yes, I have gotten off to a rocky and a somewhat stilted beginning, but don't let that diminish the weight of my message. The GDC has been at every president for the last decade and a half that global warming is a calamity, the effects of which will be second only to nuclear war. The best scientists in the world have given you every reason to take the GDC seriously, but I'm going to give you one more. If you don't live up to the deal you just made, come New Hampshire, we're going to go shopping for a new candidate. You can't do that, Sydney. With all due respect, Mr. President, who's going to stop me? Well, if you go through that door, the United States Secret Service, that's my private office. You have to go out that door over there. So she's this like super principled, very competent environmental mm-hmm. lobbyist who, of course, immediately melts at the fir- right. at the the minute the president starts waving his dick around. That's right. Like uh, like a third of this movie <laughs> is just the most petulantly like adolescent male like fantasy. And uh, Michael Douglas in this movie, I think one of the problems of the movie is the stakes seem so low. I mean, even though he's up for re-election mm. and there's this crime bill that's going to be yeah. passed, Michael Douglas plays this movie as if he's Sean Connery as James Bond. Totally yeah. unflappable. Like At no point in the movie does he ever seem threatened by anything. He's yeah. never, like... And every scene is just a variation of Michael J. Fox, who plays kind of the George Stephanopoulos character, yeah. saying to him, like, uh, Mr. President, the uh, the uh, the polls are showing that the media uh, <laughs> is is questioning whether you having a girlfriend means you're a family values candidate. Yeah. And he'll be like, huh, really? Why isn't the media asking about the, the 
things that matter. Like last last time I checked, a president was a human being too, and a president's life wasn't the same as politics. Check and mate. What? Well, why do the Republicans think we should fund a, an aircraft carrier instead of a school? Why don't the yeah. public care about that? Like it's always like that. So there's a subplot with uh, Richard Dreyfus as um, what's the character's name? Bob Dugnut or something? Who's so. kind of the Newt Gingrich? Yeah character in the movie yeah um you know and he's running running on a family values platform <laughs> it is it is kind of a time capsule i I, I love the scene where uh it cut to like him and his circle of advisors who of course are like physically identical and sound exactly like the president's advisors except they're evil as you pointed out it's very like that scene in the simpsons where you see like republican <laughs> hq and then it's just uh the devil or or it's just like something yeah. and he's just like gentlemen too evil so yeah we <laughs> see all these guys in this kind of like smoky parlor and then it cuts to president michael douglas and annette benning and the president's daughter playing scrabble mm. in the white house as if to show like well you know the republicans are these mm. washington old boys That's these right. insiders but you know Pre- president bartlett over here <laughs> he's like a salt of the earth guy likes playing scrabble I, I, one of my favorite lines in the movie was when the annette benning character the the whole point of the movie is that their relationship is causing him political problems and yet sort of six months into their relationship they're just curled up <laughs> you know, on the couch, and they're just watching cable news, yeah. and, they, and which is, you know, very handy. Um, yeah. The uh, the characters obviously felt that anyone watching would need some exposition, so they gave it to us. And she says, you know, gosh darn it, I I don't know how you put up with it. Uh, how do you how do you stand these attacks all year from people that say they love America and yet they hate Americans or whatever? Oh, good God! Like that kind of that kind of. Okay, fun. could like, you just imagine <laughs> if Annette Bening were actually dating the president of the United States and she was like visiting him and staying overnight at the White House? There would be paparazzi out there. Yeah. Every day there would be tabloids like speculating mm. on when they had sex. That's right. In this, like, we see her, I think, harassed once by and she, a paparazzi. And she, just, she just sort of drops by, and then this, there's this running <laughs> gag all the time. Every time she drops by where it's at, where she says, like, ah, yes, it was busy on Dupont. Don't get caught on Dupont Avenue or whatever. Well, at the end of the movie, when he delivers his big speech, which I, we'll get to well, in a minute. You'll, you, you folks, you'll get, you're going to get to hear the speech. But, like, he, he, he makes the big principled stand. This is after they've had a temporary breakup. And he goes into the Oval For Office. five seconds. And then who wanders into the Oval Office? Well, it's her in, like, a sweatshirt. Mm. And she's like, oh, I heard your speech on the radio, and my car just drove over here. Yeah. It just sort of found its way over. Where are you going? I'm going over to her house. I'm going to stand outside her door till she lets me in. And I'm not leaving till I get her back. And how are you going to do that, sir? Well, I haven't worked that out yet, but I'm sure that groveling will be involved. You're just going to drive over? AJ, I'm commander-in-chief of the most powerful army in the world. You don't think I can drive 10 blocks? Just uh, stay away from DuPont Circle. I hear it's murder this time of day. Hi, AJ. Nice to see you, Miss Wade. I heard your speech. I was in my car. It just kind of steered its way over here. Last time I showed up at the White House, they like <laughs> fucking strip searched me, but. <laughs> yeah, Will lived in D.C., so he was. He yeah, was, uh, he yeah. had a lot of interesting D.C. specific comments on the movie. Uh, I like the part where when they're breaking up, she's like, 
worse than us breaking up, she says, like, you just lost my vote. Oh, Which yeah, like she's going to vote for Richard Dreyfus <laughs> as Newt Gingrich. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. He'll be in Manable to her environmental you, you, you policy. You know, it's one of the best parts of the movie is after he orders something that is clearly modeled on one of Bill Clinton's airstrikes oh, on, like, the penicillin the factory or whatever. Best. Where, where, uh, <laughs> where he says, like... Uh, you know, uh, what, how many people work there? And like, well, uh, sir, we'll get you. How many people work there? We'll get you that information, sir. Um, uh, there are three shifts. Well, there'll be the fewest people there during the night shift. Okay, right? And then so he ends up ordering the attack. And then somebody says to him, it's a, uh, what's the word they use? It's like, uh, it's like Martin Sheen turns to him and goes, sir, it, like, it's it's low risk. It's like high reward, whatever. Like, just like. And, and he's like. I'll never know what low risk high reward means. Yeah, do what, it. What does disproportionate yeah, mean? That's that's I'll what he said. Do attack. And then and then the ventilators in the Oval Office. And somebody says to him, what you did today was very presidential. Yeah, and yeah. he and he goes, There's a janitor over there. A janitor who's trying to feed his family. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't know that a bomb is coming to kill him. Yeah. To kill him while he's trying to feed his family. You just saw me do one of the least presidential parts of my job. Yeah. And what's great about this is it's like the idea that, you know, isn't it great when we have a president who does these these strikes to innocent people? Which but, are necessary. Which are yeah. necessary, but he feels bad about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's presidential. Yeah, it's where it's 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 the Sorkin, it's the Sorkin like cosmology of politics where the range of emotions is like you can be actively evil and embrace it, or you can be necessarily yeah. evil and be a little bit sad about it. This is, though, why this movie feels so much like the 90s to me, because there's just this kind of assumption that this is all it's ever going to be, <laughs> right? Like, well, of course we have to bomb them. Like, well, what this I like, is the end of history. I also like I like the, the sort of um, the provincialism of this movie, because even though the whole film is located in what's supposedly the you know, imperial center of global power. There's nothing sort of cosmopolitan seeming about it. Yeah. It seems like everything's so narrow. It seems like nothing has any consequences. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's unclear. Like, if you didn't know the history of the United States in the 90s, you wouldn't know what the fuck was going on. You wouldn't know what kind of the global context was or anything. The movie doesn't give you any of that. It's all very distant. It's well, just... yeah, and again, the campaign, this presidential campaign, feels like it's a video game where Michael Douglas and Richard Dreyfus are playing to see who can get the most points in the poll. Yeah. There's no sense that there are actual people voting in this. Yeah, like, what are the... <laughs> yeah, like, what's at stake? What are the... Like, what are the policy... What what did he run on in the first place? It's well, not really the, clear. Well, there's the, the crime bill. Ah, the crime bill. Um, which, as we learn, is crappy, but, of course, he learns that in time to save the movie in uh, the last ten minutes. Okay, so this speech he gives at the end, holy shit. So he decides... You know, fuck it. I've lost a net banning. I I got to get out there and finally do what's right. And he does a uh, a great dictator type oratory <laughs> at the end, where uh, where he says, "You know, I spent so much time trying to do what was political that I forgot to do my job. <laughs> Tomorrow, I'm putting forward a bill to reduce carbon emissions by twenty percent." And I'm also putting a bill to get handguns off the street and assault weapons because really that's the root of crime and I've been too afraid to say it. And this is something that our media has been too afraid to say and blah, 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 and blah, blah. As he, as he steps into the room and he's like, in, you know, he's like engaging, he's talking about a, 
you know, we've heard a senator or whatever, like, speak a lot about character. Well, I'd like to talk about character. These are serious times, and they call for serious people. Yeah. If, if you want to debate serious issues, uh, we could do it anytime, like, you want, or whatever. And then, as that's happening, the camera, you know, first it cuts to, like, Martin Sheen, who looks over the other advisors, and he goes, like, he does this, like, cock with his head that's like, eh, eh. Like, we got him now. And then it cuts to all these uh, hard-nosed, uh, jaded journalist types who are all kind of... Even they. Even, even they're starting to tear up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you without hesitation, being president of this country is entirely about character. For the record, yes, I am a card-carrying member of the ACLU, but the more important question is, why aren't you, Bob? Now, this is an organization whose sole purpose is to defend the Bill of Rights. So it naturally begs the question, why would a senator, his party's most powerful spokesman and a candidate for president, choose to reject upholding the Constitution? Now, if you can answer that question, folks, then you're smarter than I am, because I didn't understand it until a few hours ago. Well, what's what's amazing is in typical uh, Sorkonian fashion, <laughs> he, uh, he changes the entire sort of national discourse with just a wave of his hand. Right. Like, everything just suddenly gets because better. Because somebody finally went out and said the truth, and if you give the people the truth, mm. you know, if you're like Bullworth and people <laughs> people listen to the truth, they'll turn around. And then in the final sort of moment of the film, there's been a running gag that he's been unable to go and just buy flowers, gosh darn it. Oh, God. Just like a regular dude, as he puts it, a regular guy who just wants to ask a girl out on a date, and he finally, like gets some flowers, and he gives them, he's, he said, you know, I've had something that I've wanted to give you since our first date. This is as he's, like, walking in to give the State of the Union. He pulls out some red roses, and she says, oh, so you finally found a way to, uh, to, to get flowers for a girl <laughs> and be the president? And he says, yes, I just remembered that I live right next to the Rose Garden. Oh. And then he walks in, and, and of course, the atmosphere is jubilant as he goes and gives... The State of the Union address. The curtain falls. Because presumably there are no Republicans anymore because yeah. they were all defeated in yeah. a landslide. Every single House and Senate seat was taken by the Democrats in the subsequent midterms. So this uh, romantic comedy about this... Uh, so bad. This delightful president and uh, and how he uses his power to, uh, you know, get, get a girlfriend. Yeah. Like, could you imagine if this movie had come out of Russia or if it had come out of China? It is. It like, is, what, what would we think of it? Yeah, it's, it's blatantly it's it's always a good exercise i mean it is just sort of a propagandistic celebration of like i don't know american nationalism yeah. and the power of the presidency and stuff it's mm -hmm. you know we're kind of laughing about it as in a way it's just like a benign stupid like romantic comedy but uh it's true that if it came out of um you know any other country it would seem very alien and you know even more stupid uh, and we would ask, how does anybody, who are these rubes in like Siberia that take this seriously or whatever and vote for Putin? That's what we would ask. We have serious problems to solve and we need serious people to solve them. And whatever your particular problem is, I promise you, Bob Rumson is not the least bit interested in solving it. He is interested in two things and two things only, making you afraid of it and telling you who's to blame for it. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how you win elections. You gather a group of middle-aged, middle-class, middle-income voters who remember with longing an easier time, and you talk to them about family and American values and character, 
And you wave an old photo of the president's girlfriend and you scream about patriotism. You tell them she's to blame for their lot in life. And you go on television and you call her a whore. So I think that this film, I was one of the reasons I was curious to see it is because I'm a connoisseur and a bit of a scholar of uh, of the West Wing. How much of the West Wing have you seen? All of it? All of it. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I watched it, I think, in for the first time in 2007, and I've seen, I watched a lot of it for the article again. And, uh, you know, I was curious because a lot of people said this film is kind of the progenitor of the West Wing. And uh, boy, is it, boy, is it ever. Um, I mean, right from the opening credits, apparently... Sorkin kind of had the idea for the West Wing while he was doing this uh, show. And um, I don't know, the one thing that you can say about the West Wing is it sort of started as like a revisionist history of the Clinton presidency in the same way that like you could read this film as kind of a, I mean, it's from 1995, so but it's kind of a preemptive revisionist history of the Clinton mm-hmm. presidency in a way. Um, but like the one thing you'd say about the West Wing is it actually succeeded in influencing two Democratic uh, administrations, <laughs> and, the, and the second one a lot more, because the Obama presidency almost feels like, certainly the way a lot of kind of media types and others in the Beltway talked about it and perceived it, uh, it certainly seemed like they'd really just, like their Rosetta Stone was the West Wing, as others have put it. I've been watching some episodes of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, Aaron Sorgan's later show. Oh boy, I'm which so excited to not watch I'm going to talk, probably talk about it on another podcast mm-hmm. uh, soon, but all I can say is, ooh, brother. <laughs> uh, like, if you think this is bad, like, that's, that's peak Sorkin. I think the West Wing is the only thing Sorkin really did where... I mean, it. yeah, it's really bad. The politics of it are terrible. But the thing about it is, much more than this movie, it is, like, passable sort of middle-brow drama. The Social Network's pretty yeah, good, Yeah, Social I think. Network's yeah. good. But he just wrote the screenplay for that, yeah. right? He didn't, yeah. yeah so. the, and this film, we should maybe say, was directed by Rob Reiner. That's right. Uh, you know, but come on. It's an Aaron Sorkin joint. It is such an Aaron Sorkin joint. Watching all this Studio 60 and watching an Amer- the American president, <laughs> excuse me, I, I find him a uniquely bad writer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all of it's that kind of like Kevin Smith type dialogue it's, where it's too, every it's, it's too clever by half. And like every character just sounds like the same guy talking yeah. like he's having his own Socratic dialogue. Have, have you seen the uh, you might have seen the ads for it on Facebook? You know, those ads where it'll be like uh, Werner Herzog teaches you filmmaking. Have you seen the one that's like yeah, Aaron, Aaron Sorkin? Sorkin. Uh, uh, that's, that's, that's fucking great. Yeah. And he has like a whiteboard or something. Yeah. That's and, great. and like, you know, there's this whole kind of class of writers, like David Mamet is another one who's better than Aaron Sorkin mm. for whatever that's worth. But it's like, people like it because the dialogue is super stylized and yeah. it's like, you have to kind of like pay attention to keep up with it. Well, what was but... the whole exchange that, uh, the president had with, uh, Michael J. Fox where Michael J. Fox was produced this extremely convoluted metaphor about, um, uh, oh god it you, was you go you go you yeah. go, they, the voters they go to the the desert and to the mirage and they're and they're eating they're eating sand and then the president <laughs> says something like lewis we have had presidents who were beloved who couldn't find a coherent sentence with two hands and a flashlight people don't drink the sand because they're thirsty they drink the sand because they don't know the difference and that, it's like, what the fuck well, are you talking about? Well, it doesn't about? even make sense. No. <laughs> what is the sand? What is the water? <laughs> Actually, I think that's a very, like, Hobbesian view of the electorate. <laughs> it really is, yeah. yeah. 
anyway, I'm I'm glad that you made me watch this movie. I really enjoyed it. And, it's, it's, and it just makes me think we gotta get Donald Trump out of there so that we can restore dignity to the office. <laughs> well, here's the here's the thing. I mean, uh, others have made the point that, you know, if Donald Trump can, like, do this job... Well, I mean, okay, one, one of the things that I've been... It was amazing about, watching this movie in the Trump era. Can I just say that? You, Unbelievable. Like, this movie so fetishizes the White House, and it fetishizes mm. every room of it. It's just fun to imagine Donald Trump walking through all these rooms. And you see the cultural power of, of kind of all this uh, this empty liturgy that the film portrays, mm-hmm. because, I mean, one of the things that's been the most bizarre to me about the Trump presidency is the fact that, like... Even the supposedly sober liberal commentators, like people like Van Jones, they they just seem to be waiting for moments where they can sort of like it was uh, the moment where in Donald Trump's first State of the Union, where he paid tribute to the the family of the Navy SEAL who'd been killed yeah. in that, and at that, that moment in that, he became in that, president in that murderous raid that killed like twenty five <laughs> yeah. civilians and some children. Uh, in that moment, he became the president period but then he became the president more two yeah. weeks later when he dropped a bomb on afghanistan that's yeah. when he really became president yeah like the biggest conventional weapons yeah. like bomb ever uh again with the tomahawk missiles in syria all the rest of it um it just it just is amazing i think maybe as um canadians it's harder for us to relate to i don't know what the the imperial hubris of the i don't know the the, the cultural kind of pull that this kind of stuff i guess stuff i don't has. know like does the monarchy hold any pull for us in canada not, not, like not that, that much yeah because well, there's nothing behind it i mean yeah. it's just a kind of an, an empty constitutional structure at this mm-hmm. point um i mean i suppose there are a few people that are sort of they like it in a very pretentious way and they kind of hold on to it but mm. the thing is there's not there's no like power backing it whereas mm-hmm. i guess i don't know in the united states people are so obsessed with you know even the whole um procedure of the state of the union when you watch it on cnn or something like, it's quite extraordinary. It really is the closest to kind of a secular religious ceremony yeah. you can get where the president goes in and everyone's kind of signing. He's like signing autographs for people. Yeah, it's very ritualized. Yeah. You know, this movie, The American President, incorporates a lot of that like Princess Diana myth to to it where it's this kind of low woman who mm-hmm. is called up as you pointed out through meritocracy that's right that's why it's a 90s movie folks (laughs) that's why it's an american why it's disruptive version of of the monarchy yeah this low woman called up through meritocracy to be part of this american aristocracy yeah uh so it it, like it combines the best of you know the monarchy (laughs) and the presidency it was great um i'm glad that i persuaded you to watch it on the horizon we've got uh the long-awaited Arnold movie. We got a few more installments in the Canada 150 spectacular. Uh, what else is going on? Oh, I'm sure other stuff will present itself. Yeah. Well, you had it. You had an idea for a. Uh, oh, I thought something was pretty intriguing. Yeah. Let Let's not spoil it. Okay. Let's. It's, well, so it's we have good, a though. we have a, a a mystery surprise courtesy of Will Sloan that will be coming sometime in the next few weeks, folks. Thanks for uh, the tweets and the messages uh, from Michael and Us Nation. We're all eagerly awaiting the next Michael Moore film. Uh, We'll have an episode on that. Oh, I just want to point out that Michael Moore this week, because this is a Michael Moore podcast, he announced he opened uh, something called Trumpy Leaks. Wasn't that what it was called? I'm not making this up. Yeah, that's what it's called. He, where any U.S. senator or anybody involved in the government could leak him information, Mm -hmm. he would release it. 
So uh, I'm, I anticipate that it will be he will be as successful as when he brought down the Bush administration. That's a joke I stole from you. That's right, which I was just about to say. Yeah. Anyways, uh, no time to worry about that. Uh, just watch this drive. What's next? Did you get the popcorn, the filibuster is in? I'm Toby Ziegler with the drop and what kind of day has it been? This Lynn speaking the truth, Agent Butterfield, level detail on this track while you got that black mirror Wayne retail. Well, you can find me in Tommy Schlammy behind me with the steady cam. I'm ready, damn, it's landing in. Remind me why I'm five folks down, always ready for my close-up. The cops pull me over, fully sober, judgment doser. What's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? And I'm saying, what's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? And I'm saying, what's next? Sir, when I ask what's next, it means I'm ready to move on to other things. So, what's next? Yo, yo, ma, your body, your work's inspiring. Yo, yo, ma, your cello is a siren. We gonna get into some shit soon. Call up it's Wallace and Nancy McNally and get him to the sit room. Click, boom, I've been here before and I know the way out. Attack with a proportional response and let it play out. Donna, tell her, tell him I'm ready, forget the text. You ain't getting Uncle Fluffy, motherfuckers. What's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? And I'm saying, what's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? And I'm saying, what's next? The Flintle.